You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest is Hannibal Burris. But first, a story. Uh, about 10 years ago, um, I was in a, a, a lull in my interest in comedy. It, it felt like I was seeing a lot of the same stuff, and I was kind of bored by it. Um, but thankfully, one night, my friend Drew was like, do you want to come with me to see a comedy show at the UCB Theater in L.A.? It's called Comedy Death Ray. It would later be known as Comedy Bang Bang, which more people know as a, a podcast, but it started as a, a live stand-up show. And I said, sure. Um, and it was a Halloween show, so there was a lot of spooky vibes in the theater, and I um, was scared as I entered. But the first comedian up was Hannibal Burris. I had no idea who he was at all. My friend knew him from Chicago. He said he was funny, but he was just like another comedian. And he did some paranormal activity jokes because it was Halloween, and then he just like, all right, I'm done with topical <laughs> jokes. Uh, and then he told a joke about ordering a whole tilapia at a Thai restaurant. And for whatever reason, I thought it was the funniest thing I had heard in like years, if not decades. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the, the punchline cause we do talk about it in the laughing round, but it was like a part of my brain lit up that hadn't been uh, uh, awake for, for a long time. And soon after his album came out and I listened to it obsessively and then i kept on going back to comedy death ray and i it really ignited my my passion for comedy that i still ride on today so to have hannibal on is a full circle moment it's poignant it's just really nice i it, like <laughs> i've been following his career ever since obviously so and i've seen him grow from you know a guy who played clubs to a guy who played like small rock venues i would i would he when i moved back to brooklyn he did a show every sunday at the knitting factory that was like a staple of my uh mid-20s life and and now to see where he is at where he he plays these large theaters and drive-ins and and the whole time his, his style changed it was really interesting to watch you know when he started he had this sort of mitch hedberg vibe he he was laid back he he had a deadpan there he was really understated being understated really defined his style in an interesting way but as he's grown, he kept some of that, um, 
but he also sort of able to kill like few comedians I've seen, especially in a large venue, which is not easy. Um, and then after the release of his 2016 Netflix special, Comedy Commissado, I, I started noticing a shift in him, um, both his material and, and how he's talking in interviews. Hannibal was growing up, as, as he would say. Um, and as we talked about in the episode, this was the result of many factors all happening around the same time. He, he moved back to Chicago full time. He started focusing on alternative revenue sources that allow him not to be so dependent on the entertainment industry. He quit drinking and eventually quit gambling. And as Hanwell is currently reckoning with, maybe the biggest shift is he was diagnosed with ADHD. But much of the catalyst for his growing up was his 2017 Miami arrest for disorderly conduct and the sort of gossip world fallout that came from it. Hannibal eventually got the charges thrown out and is actually currently suing the city for it, but it clearly affected him. Um, Hannibal ended up dedicating the second half of his 2020 special Miami Nights to telling that story. Uh, released on YouTube weeks after the murder of George Floyd, a, a lot of people have noted how timely it is, but, but to Hannibal, a, a joke about police misconduct would always be timely. And I, I want to add, this This special is, is my favorite of Hannibal's and my favorite of the year, period. Uh, not just because of the story, but how he built an entire hour around it. The, the, the first half is filled with talk about death and legacy and ramifications of your behavior and spirituality and the things we decide to value. And as a whole, despite being really funny in a distinctly Hannibal way, it is an impressively consistent hour tonally. One of the earlier bits in the special focuses on asthma, the condition Hannibal has suffered from his whole life that, to paraphrase another comedian, gets no respect. So, here is Hannibal Burris. Hopefully I don't die of asthma, because I have that. <laughs> it's mostly under control, but, you know, it flares up every now. Asthma doesn't get a lot of respect out here, though, as far as diseases go. Asthma doesn't get cancer love in these streets. You don't see these commercials, merchandise, celeb endorsements, none of that. There's no asthma walks because everybody would have asthma attacks. People think asthma's hilarious. When I pull out my inhaler in front of my friends, I might as well pull out a kazoo the way they laughed at me. Hey, look at Hannibal, puff, puff, puff. I don't want to die. <laughs> look at him, he can't breathe without that shit. Puff, puff. Okay, I'm good now, y'all. <laughs> and the process of getting a new inhaler can be very frustrating. Because sometimes I'll forget that I'm out of refills. But the idea that there's limited refills for a medicine that I need to live is bananas by itself that I had to show. Hey, excuse me, please. Can I get my breath rations? <laughs> yes, you can breathe this month. <laughs> Thank you. See you in a month. Like, just give it. Just give me the inhaler. It's, like, I've shown up to a pharmacy mid asthma attack. Excuse me, I can't breathe. Can I please get it so I can breathe? Sorry, you're out of refills. Hey, you don't want to just help me breathe first and then we can handle all the paperwork and shit afterwards? 
No, I'm sorry, the doctor has to call. The doctor has to call. So then I have to call the doctor so he can call the pharmacy and say, yeah, he still got asthma. <laughs> I'm a trusted source. I know he got asthma. We hung out for 15 minutes a year and a half ago. Also, I'm not even a doctor. I'm just some dude on the phone. Give him the inhaler. This shit is stupid. Because I get that some prescription drugs have to be controlled tightly. Vicodin, Percocet, Adderall, Xanax. You can't just give those out to everybody. But with an inhaler, trust me, with the inhaler, I can't chop it up. It's just one inhaler. Just, what do you think? I'm going to puff half of it and say, all right, time to take it to the streets. Get some real money for this shit. $10 a puff. Everybody stand in line. I'm coming through. You good. You got it. Breathe. Just give me the inhaler. Like, I know some people that get in all types of shit all the time, and I never once been invited to an albuterol party in my life. Hey, come through, man. We got Ventolin, Albuterol, we got Pro Air, Advil, we got that weird yellow inhalers going down. We got girls here, they all got crazy lung capacity. This shit is wild. Oh, man, they doing all types of breathy shit here. They blowing bubbles, blowing out candles, singing into the fan, cooling soup, playing the flute. Get here now. Yo, she just broke out a nebulizer, dog. Get here. My friends try to help. You, you ever have a friend that want to help, but they don't know what they're doing at all? One time in L.A., I felt my breath tightening up. I felt a little asthma attack coming on. I said, oh, I pat my pockets. I said, man. I said, man, my goddamn, I don't have my inhaler. And I said, hey, I got to go back to the hotel, y'all. I got to go back to the hotel. My breath showed up. My friend said, hey, man, stand still. <laughs> and I stood still, and then he... He just grabbed my shirt and started doing this, right? <laughs> and he said, hey, is this helping? No, man. No, Usher music video choreography isn't helping my shirt right now. Heartbeat, dance moves and shit, get out of here. So I am here with Hannibal Burst. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jesse. What's up, man? Oh, uh, you know, quarantining, you know. interviewing. Um... So, so I want to talk about um, your your special and, and and this joke to start off with. So, um, the the asthma bit. How how did that start? Um, even before the joke, generally, what was your relationship to having asthma? Asthma, I, I've had it for a while. I've had it since I was a kid. I'm trying to. There was a break though where mm. it didn't bother me for a while. I, maybe that was early college or something like that where. I didn't use my inhaler much, but yeah, it's just been something that has been hella annoying for a really long time, and it's is not really taken seriously. <laughs> yeah. And just the 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 levels of paperwork and shit you have to go through just to get this medicine sometimes is really this shit is baffling. It's it's baffling with uh, full lungs. Mm-hmm. And it's even more baffling when you're short of breath and, and trying to talk with a, a Walgreens pharmacy tech. So how did it start where you're like, oh, I want to, I'm going to start doing something about this on stage? 
Yeah, I just started just wanting to talk about the because it was some this that the scenario that I described mm. had happened so many other times. Uh, just you know, one because of my lack of organization in these type of matters because of my own ADHD, which I I think our next special I'll dive into mm. ADHD more just the, and the and the tax that comes with that i still i gotta i gotta cancel this pandora subscription man i, I you know <laughs> shout out to pandora for it was nice back then and in, in, in 08 09 when i was introduced to you and the idea of you know similar playlists and all that but now i haven't been using it but i just got hit five bucks yeah. um so what does writing mean for you? How do you write a joke like this? What is what does it even mean? How much do you write down pen? How much do you just do on stage? What does it actually mean? Um, I think this one. I'm trying to remember if I've just kind of written down bullet points and just talk about it because it's not much to write, really. Yeah, it's really just happened, and so then it's just finding the flip and finding the you know, adding in the absurd parts and figuring out where those hit. But I don't know if I ever fully committed it to pay. I don't know. I never wrote down the words. Or even on Miami Nights, I never wrote down the full arrest story. It's a 25-minute piece. I, I tinkered with different things in there and edited and took away or added parts over time but I never kept, I, I never wrote it all out because it was yeah. just me taking the real story and then adding the, the you know, better versions of what I wish I said <laughs> in afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, at least for this joke, because it's like a bunch of sections, but each section has scenes or performances or like you you and another person. So it does make sense as it be a more conversational Bit. is that a thing that just evolved organically or were you thinking specifically like oh this would be a, something about the conversations you have around asthma were particular for you it was just i knew i wasn't the only one mm -hmm. dealing with these type of scenarios and it's just like i mean i guess a lot of comedy can fall in the black and white before side of the infomercial <laughs> the there has to be a better way yeah. uh <laughs> it has to be it, this can't be it yeah this can't be the smoothest way uh i'm in i'm in hawaii right now and i saw that they have a uh I went to the grocery store and then they have a, a DMV kiosk at the, the Safeway out here. Mm -hmm. And that seems great, right? <laughs> and that, I hadn't thought of that since then. I mean, I hadn't thought of that at all. I knew yeah. the DMV was a problem for, for people and me. And, and then I saw a kiosk and I'm like, oh, that's the, that seems like, a good way to solve that problem 
Yeah. Here's another problem. I, I, I'm going to, after we get off this call, and I know I veer off a little bit, but, you it's know, okay. my Adderall's back on the mainland, so it is what it is. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, I was, I went to the grocery store just before closing, right? I got mm-hmm. in at the grocery store closed at nine. I got in about eight forty. bars have their closing time. They're get the fuck out. Like those sort yeah, of yeah. last call songs. I feel like grocery stores or any shop, they, they just play the mission impossible thing <laughs> or something for that last few minutes to, they're really missing the opportunity to create a vibe uh, for that last few minutes in those aisles. When a lot, I mean, so a lot of times, that at least at the grocery store, it wasn't that many people there, so don't have to worry about folks crashing into each other or that whatever somebody would bring up in a meeting trying to shoot down my idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what about like people hear that music is gonna rile them up and then they're gonna knock over all the mangoes then we gotta do that and then we're into our overtime is this what it's like to be you in, in so much as i feel like there there's an old joke you had i think it's like about people who do cocaine and you're like they say they the joke is about how people say it's like do you want to party instead of saying do you want to do cocaine and for you yeah. partying means like sitting in the cor- like standing in the corner texting other people about how shitty the party is are you yeah. just sort of like the world's existing, you're standing still, and like in your head, all of this is playing out? I think it's just really, I just believe in, improve, I, I, I think there's room for improvement in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is, is are pretty simple steps, you know? I, I'm gonna, after this, I'm gonna DM a few store, and, and a few store accounts and just send them my idea about the music. Like, what do you play when it's about to close? Just cause I think that is a move. That's a low risk, high reward mm-hmm. move. If you already playing some bland Muzak, some, some Muzak version of Kenny G or something in your store. Well, let's see if we play to the moment. And so I just, uh, about the experience you know and so i mm-hmm. i think it just as a as an entertainer and maybe it's just where my my dopamine levels are and just where my how i'm wired where i'm like, okay this needs to be more popping right now mm-hmm. or maybe since i'm not going to the club or parties as much the grocery store needs to turn it up a little bit who whatever it is i'm missing something and i need it <laughs> So, I make I mean it makes sense. To so I want to go through the joke a little bit and well there's a few sections I'll just bring up each section so you can talk to me about how it came to you, what do you like about it, your thinking behind that part, whatever comes to mind about e- each of the sections. So, the first section is the initial basic premise that asthma doesn't get the respect in these streets as other diseases do. Right. What was the thinking behind that? And how did that evolve to the jokes that you had about uh, kazoos and there's no walks uh, and the guy doing well, yeah. an impression of you to yourself well I don't I really despise the personification of disease hmm. 
we're gonna punch cancer in his goddamn pussy. Cancer, fuck you. We're gonna walk it out and cook. And it doesn't watch the news. It doesn't have Twitter. Stop it. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's psychologically, maybe that connects to to people, but it's so, we're gonna cancer. And then also it makes me upset that asthma doesn't get the mm-hmm. same the same thing. Um where you know they it's not it really is made fun of. Yeah. It's really oh you can't breathe. What? <laughs> I didn't do this wasn't a choice. Like are you thinking it's kind of clown in a way that not many other diseases are besides STDs. Yeah. And except for AIDS. AIDS is the only one. I forgot who told about this, where it's okay. Like if somebody has chlamydia, yeah, you dummy, you got chlamydia. <laughs> Look at that dummy with the fucking chlamydia. Oh, you got... Oh, you had that? Ugh. You got crabs, you fucking leper. Disgusting. But then if somebody gets AIDS, it's like, hey, whoa. Yeah. Okay, this is, uh, what the, they were doing the same shit. It it reminds me a little bit, do you know that Maria Bamford joke about if people talked about mental illness the way they talk about other illness? Or if they talk about other illnesses the way they talk about mental illness? And she does an impression of someone being like, I don't know what you're talking about, Maria. We all have cancer. Um, it's, a, it's a little <laughs> bit like that. Yeah. It was like, you can't. It's, it's, so it is. Uh, there's a uh, there's perception yeah. and whatnot of, of, of things just because of what they are. Just because you can't physically see my lungs struggling um and also my face doesn't show it because i'm a dark-skinned black man so even if i'm not getting enough air you have to have a really trained eye to see that i'm truly struggling in the moment because i'm not gonna like turn red Mm, that makes sense so um for the refill section you talked about how that was sort of based on a story but i wanted to bring up specifically the doctor's call because that feels like classic Hannibal cadence where you, yeah. where the doctor goes, yeah, he's still got asthma. <laughs> um, it's hard to describe what it is. And it's, it's funny to describe it to your face, but it, it's that sort of like um, deadpan understated. Uh, I think I read some person called like your nonchalance, but where did that style come from? How did, how has that evolved? Um, what do you like about, in that situation, just sort of being the doctor, being super chill about it. Well, I think in that scenario, the chillness is to kind of cover how he is the, it's really nothing to do that, or it's yeah. really not, it, it's not, it's not necessary to have that part of the process for an inhaler. So, it's really to show that that's all that shit is about money. Yeah. Um, because one would have to assume 
that if I've been getting a certain medication for this amount of time and it's an asthma medication and I've gotten that and then when I run out and I come and ask for it again that I I should be the main authority on yeah. that. I get to the doctor's a doctor, but it should be me since I'm like, I, I would like this. I'm right here. And I have history of getting this. It's not a new thing. So to add that extra layer is, uh, you know, oh, you have to call the doctor. The doctor's like, yeah. So, cause the doctor's not gonna say, no, don't give him the, don't give it to him. <laughs> yeah. No, that guy's a piece of shit. Don't give him the inhaler. So it's adding, it's wasting everybody's time. Yeah. It's a waste for, it wastes every per. nobody's winning from that just to, to, to uphold a, a goofy system. It, it, it's interesting because, you know, when you started out, I remember like all your jokes, sort of a lot of your performance was in this cadence of the chill doctor. And then if you ever raised your voice, it would be like a surprise. And then slowly, it seems like the the polarity switched. And then in your most recent special, the it's a sort of different pacing. Can ha, was any of that evolution deliberate? Was it just sort of being more comfortable? You know, when you thought about yourself as a performer, how how has your thinking changed? Um, I think it's just with time and mm. and and feel and things shifted as the venues got bigger absolutely it just and then as i did the bigger rooms more than learning how to how to play in those rooms and how to i don't know, i think it just shifted naturally and just yeah you know wanting to have different flows and, and versatility mm-hmm. Um, I look at a lot of the bits musically a little bit. Um, I, there's musical elements in, in parts, but just in the, you know, having, I want to have a, a really, I want to show that I can do the short one line or bit, like do mm-hmm. a quick bit like that. I want to show that I can do a a long story with different pieces. I want to show I could do a current events. I could talk about music. I can do solid physical comedy yeah. if I want to. I can do some voices a little bit too. And so like trying to, you know, hit different marks and different pieces and, and, and just show different and show range also. What motivates that desire to show range? I think it's just that's what it that's life has range, you know. Yeah. Uh and so it's just and it just keeps it when you're doing a a hour show, an hour and a half show, you want to have surprises and so if somebody's only seen me a certain way, mm then it's, it's the chance to get, oh, I, I, here's how I can move sometimes. So I can, you know, I can end a bit with the act out being me, you know, moving from one end of the stage to another and, and lock in in that way. And just, mm-hmm. you know, trying to 
be a, a well-rounded performer. Yeah. It, and so as the joke moves on, it, it gets to, I'd argue, probably the silliest part, which is the idea of like, what do these people think you're going to do? You're not going to, ch- you can't really chop up, you know, chop up the inhaler yeah. and then bring it to the streets. Can you talk about how that evolved? It, it's, um, it also is like, I feel like it's a thing you'll do where you contrast like a thing that is so not um, the, the street, like the contrast is so obvious. And I think you then yeah. build upon it. Well, in that, it's to acknowledge, acknowledge their side, right? Yeah. Of the argument coming from debate. Like, okay, I, I understand mm. that people sell Xanax and Adderall and Percocets and uh, codeine, Fermentazine and these other things. I under, I understand that. So, but let's look at the inhaler street sales <laughs> with an objective eye and say that, you know, it shouldn't fall in the same category mm-hmm. because those other drugs aren't, as immediate sure i when i don't have my adderall or something then the day might not go how i want it to go but i'm not about to die it's just a deadline might get missed or my editors might not get some notes i might not you know i might not post what i was planning on posting uh some right but the shit is gonna be fine i'll be fine but the inhaler, the consequences are, could be, I'm sure there's been people that have died. I'm just telling my story, yeah. but I haven't, I didn't dig in and do deep research on the asthma. But I remember when I, when the special dropped that it was people writing me like, yo, you preaching that, you're preaching that shit. Finally, <laughs> somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, somebody saw it. So the inconvenience level of it is, is wild, man. Imagine you're just on your lunch break or something. And you're like, oh, my breath is uh, a little short. I ain't got my, let me just go over here and uh, just get my inhaler real quick before I go back to work. Yeah. And then they say, Oh no, you have to go through a bunch of bullshit for no reason. <laughs> what? I just want to breathe and work my job. Can you please just trust my history of getting this medicine for eight years and give me a mulligan on this one and you can, you know. That's the thing. It's just it's just frustrating, man. Do you you know, do you consider or had you considered when doing it being more pointed about it is a commentary on the pharmaceutical industry or, you know, like there's a version of this joke or a different comedian who might be like, and this is why the pharmaceutical industry is fucked up. You know, like I, I imagine you can imagine, but this is more just like, here's my example. I'm going to show you draw the conclusions that you should. I hear what you're saying. And yeah. I, it, where it, it, it's a framing of it and how to, and how to hit it. Call. You need to, we need to make calls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't end here. 
It doesn't end here yeah, with yeah. the laughs, folks. Let's take the next step. <laughs> and that's the thing is where sometimes I think that's I like the bit is it, and I and I'm making the point pretty explicitly, and then it's like, oh well, you as as if you really want to shift it, there's extra work to be to be done. So maybe that's what this convo is. Yeah, maybe while I'm sending off those tweets to all those different grocery stores <laughs> about playing the Mission Impossible theme and Chicago footwork music to energize those last ten minutes of shopping, I'll also you know, gather some, some asthma. Re- you want to help me on asthma uh, survey research stuff? And just see, you know, how to make, how to simplify. They took Primatine Mist off of the, the shelves for a while. I don't know if that's, that was the over-the-counter mm. uh, inhaler. And it was off the shelves for, because of their CFCs, their chlorofluorocarbons. And it said it affected the environment. Uh, Obama did that. I was pretty salty at Obama about that for a while. Because <laughs> that was the way I would sometimes, okay, if I couldn't get the prescription with, oh, I'll just get the, I'll just get the uh, primatine. Mm-hmm. The, um, the part where you described the, the women at the party doing breathy shit, um, mm-hmm. just were, were there a lot of options of things? Did you really nail down of like, what are the, I, I mean, maybe Rifton on stage, this part's just so funny. And especially the part where you say Cool Soup playing the flute, which has like, I, there's like uh, assonance to that. I don't know if that's on purpose. Yeah. Like how, 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 especially for that part where it's like a lot of words together, is that a little bit more deliberate? Well, yeah, I liked the, uh, I think it was only three at first. And then I added, uh, I added a couple. Uh, I think it's five. What else? Away? Cool and Soup playing the flute. Blowing bubbles, uh, blowing out candles, singing in, into the fan, cool soup, playing the flute. Get here yeah, I now. Think it was, yeah, I think it was three at first, and I added five. <laughs> uh, I wish I did. I did ten. I'll do. Uh, I'll add some more in when I when I drop the audio. I haven't dropped the audio for Miami Nights yet, so maybe I'll just start uh, putting in random stuff on it. Yeah, <laughs> random <laughs> asides. <laughs> footnotes so, in the in yeah. the audio so it ends with the uh, how your friends try to help and the, the the usher music choreography joke so here's a fun fact about that yeah that that joke that happened in 2015 in la mm-hmm. the friend in that one that was thundercat <laughs> And we were we were at some skating rink event he performed at and Snoop Dogg DJed at. And I was I hadn't roller skated in a while and I was just watching that first and I was like, oh, I was thinking, man, I I probably shouldn't get out there and skate, but it was looking so fun. So I said, Let me get let me get out there and skate. So I do one lap and then I was I was completely <laughs> winded and out of it. I was like, ah, oh, this is a terrible idea. and you see he's like see me struggling and he just he said stand still and he started just flapping my shirt no that's not that's not it but he 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 did he was it was a genuine attempt yeah 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I in my head there was another part of this joke where you talked about having sex and having to stop in the middle to get your your um to get your inhaler. Is is that was that this joke or did you have a different joke of is that? Uh I was I was part of it. Well I'll say sometimes it's been, yeah, during sex I'll get winded and and the girl she'll be all impressed with herself and like no pre-existing conditions. <laughs> Why did you cut it out? Uh, I think I probably just forgot. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> just like, like same reason other stuff happens. Disorganization. Same reason uh, Pandora still charged me for yeah, yeah. every month because I forgot. So the the joke ends, and then you go right into a joke about auto tune. There, there's no transition in general. The special has very few transitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why, why was that? Uh, the asthma joke. I think. Uh, oh, we cut something else, but the transitions themselves. There's some, there's some, the, the asthma joke initially was yeah, connected to um, the death joke. Yeah, it still is. That is like, there's a transition into it, but then out of it, I feel like there's a bunch of oh. jokes out of it that you, you just sort of like go into something else. Oh yeah. As far as the transitions, I think it was just. I like the bits, you know, yeah. and if and if the flow happened, it happened. If it didn't, then I'm like, you know, I think they're they're solid. But no, like it it's not a, to... I like them when they yeah. when they when they come together, or if it's something that um something that happens naturally. That's what happened a lot on the road. Is I would find different connections with bits that I that I hadn't before um well you because i wouldn't after a while on the road i wouldn't know i would kind of know my beginning and end Mm -hmm. and then in the middle i'd figure out parts or or mess with order and things like that uh that's one thing i miss too is the it's not just the performance but now just the nuances and just Mm -hmm. different the level of performing because i've done a handful of gigs but it's that thing of doing gigs and then when you've when you feel that you've caught a groove a little bit mm-hmm. after uh, when you've been on a run for a while and you uh, oh you get into that six show zone where okay i'm feeling good like you can feel how your brain is just processing information and, and how sharp stuff is and able to kind of cut stuff on the fly and oh, this oh, like in the moment, being like, oh, let me take that word out, let me take this word out, and let me add this in right here. That mode and and those little the little details, the stuff I miss about just regularly performing. Yeah, in 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 the special, you you give an executive producer credit to thirty four years of undiagnosed ADHD, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you you've talked about adding the visuals before in other interviews and. You say it's partly like at this point, by the time you're editing it, you've watched this material getting sort of bored of the material. And, you know, as a person with attention issues myself, I can sort of relate the impulse of sort of like this is I need to do something that makes it interesting for me. You know, 
for you, it's like I want to get a sense in a, I guess, a form file functions way, how the effects work with your comedy, but ultimately do they, do you feel like it captures how your, how your brain works intentionally or not? And you're like, oh, this is how it's best to communicate how I would present these things where just you performing stand-up yeah. is, it's not exactly a one-to-one. Um, yes and no. Okay. Because I haven't, I haven't fully systemized and created my workflow mm-hmm. to assist me in that mm-hmm. way. So I'm still, I think I might be operating at like 30, 40% capacity of my true talent and capability. Mm-hmm. Did I, I guess similar to that question, um, you know, I, you are the second comedian I had on who has had a late in life diagnosis of ADHD and um, it, Emily Heller, she was diagnosed and then it, it completely changed her life and um, made her change her relationship to stand up because she, she for her it felt like she was doing stand up because it really worked with an ADHD person's brain and the nature of the the stimulus that comes along with it but then sort of once she started treating it she she found that she was satisfied doing comedy without necessarily needing it to be in front of an audience and i'm not saying it's the same thing for you but did to the diagnosis or starting to treat it change how you thought about stand up or your or your relationship to it it changed um and it's interesting. She she has same conclusion too about the <laughs> the getting a, that reaction really into it. Yeah, became something easy to do without much friction. Yeah, because it's says from the beginning is sign up for an open mic, and you get on stage and talk. You get yeah. a reaction. Boom, you get a dopamine hit, nice. You go chase that again. Uh, what did it cost you? Four or five hours? Per- great, a great usage of time, yeah. surely. Uh, and then you look back, uh, well, if it was somebody else in my ear, then like, okay, well maybe, well what else was that time? Like what else? We do with that downtime. Mm-hmm. It could have been better spent, but I didn't really know why my brain was working the way it was. So I, I think about it a lot. What would I have, would I have done more music? But there is, especially in 2002, than doing stand up. So it's easier to not do music. And, and like, you can kind of dive into stand up, even if it's only you know, a couple minutes per week. Oh, I got two open mics, but then the rest of that time, I'm just going to think about this and obsess mm. on it. So it is something that's, you know, I don't, I really dove into it when I started. I found every book I could and, and I hyper-focused on it. Yeah. Um, because it was, it was rewarded. And I, I definitely love it, but, I wish I was a little more aware of my brain chemistry so then I could 
at 25 if I had the awareness to say, okay, I need a business partner or a collaborator or somebody that is just the organized person that is trustworthy. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out that part and work with them and they handle all of the stuff. Then I just, you know, I, it's the what ifs and, and the hows and, and all of that, what jobs I would have taken or what situations I would have handled better yeah. if I knew like, oh, I need to go work out because my mind is going crazy right now. Yeah. So I need to sweat to mellow out instead of drinking a Jameson. Yeah. Um, especially over these past few months. Uh, reflecting more on it. It's, uh, it's, what, it's really, a, oh, man, there's, look at the, these different mm-hmm. times. Oh man, that was oh that was that yeah that was oh I de- oh I I definitely should not have been binge drinking at any point of my life. Yeah, let uh, not that even without it, uh, but it definitely not with ADHD. I shouldn't have been drinking that much, but it was it was just to it was just me trying to quiet my brain down. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned the drinking. So in you know December seven December two thousand seventeen, um, you were wrongfully arrested in Miami. It it results in a about twenty five minute piece at the end of the special. Um, but from what I understand, that the the sort of on your on a personal level, the after effects is it led to you getting sober. I wanted to ask sort of one that pro- what that was like, but also what did it mean um, as a comedian because before that you would have a lot of stories that sort of came out of experiences being out, getting drunk or partying. Uh, not a lot of it, but there were, a, you know, a handful. What was that sort of process, both on a personal level, but also knowing that's where a lot of your, your material came from. One, you know, I had somebody recently say, yeah, we were talking about drinking and they said, oh, people that drink are so weird and you're, you're so strong for stopping drinking. I'm like, yeah, it's not that. It's not that tough to sober up once you hear the fucking TMZ voiceover saying your name about being. Hell, I'm not drunk. And you're like, well, that's uh, that's it for me. Yeah. Hell, hell, and you see Harvey laughing with fucking coffee in his hand. <laughs> he tested a cop. It's like, well, that'll that's a wrap on me. Uh, for drink. Well, I, I partied it up the rest of December of 2017, yeah. and then and then shut it down in the new year. But uh, I really had to reflect on how many of these drinking stories I had. Yeah. I got drunk, and then this happened. I got drunk and said this. I got drunk. The New Orleans one is probably the only one that's not in a somewhat negative place mm-hmm. which is why i do cherish that story yeah is because i, I remember um 
being back in New York and telling it. And it hit me like this, man. One of my few bits is just about having a good time. And shit. Yeah. It's <laughs> not sarcastic. It's not me, you know, trying to one up somebody with mm-hmm. wit or being mad. It's just like, we just said, we, we were drunk. We went to New and we did this thing and it was fun. Yeah. Uh, it's tough to write bits like that. Yeah. Um, Cause that's not the main place that comedy comes from, but it, it the, the energy levels now and, and, and just the the clarity and the time that I've gotten back because of it is is I take that mm. any any day just because this shit is still a struggle. Yeah, that's how I also that's my other reason and too is like it's it's still gonna be tough anyways. So why let's not bring drinking into it and make it tougher than it needs yeah. to be. It's already gonna be not getting the shit done and trying to just get into to flow state. I I I go on the Reddit, the ADHD forum on on Reddit, and it's funny just reading people's stuff because I relate to it, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I've read a post on there, and so people will post their troubles or successes yeah. and whatnot, and so. A post on there, somebody will say, today I cleaned my room. And the comment section will just go, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! Hell yeah! You did that shit! (laughs) Like, today I cleaned my room and I brushed my teeth twice. (sighs) Fire emojis and shit. Yeah. But I'll be looking at it. Like, yeah, good job, man. Congratulations. So uh, we'll be right back with more Hannibal Burris. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. 
So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Hannibal Burris. I want to ask a little bit about the the arrest story and bring it on stage. And, you, you, you know, you've talked about run-ins with cops before, um, but, you know, and you've told personal stories before, but this was definitely more ambitious and demanded more vulnerability and just being more honest. Um, I, so I was wondering sort of first, what did you want from the story? And then once you were going to have this piece, how did it inform the the rest of the set and sort of what you wanted this this special to be? And and the the things you wanted to sort of fit into that the story it took a, i did it a couple times and kind of saw oh, oh this story is long it has a lot of pieces it's super long i have to close on it now mm. i might have tried it a couple times in the middle and i used to close on a bit about me my funeral and then me having sex with a curate coffee machine Mm-hmm. And after doing that, maybe a couple shows with the the story in the middle and the Keurig at the end, I uh, made the tough decision that tonally, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> tonally, the 25-minute arrest story might fit better at the end. And... Uh, it, it uh it was i needed to get it off my chest and just talk about the the situation mm-hmm. it was it was a lot just having that it's it's really tough seeing your your face and seeing yourself kind of be an asshole like that yeah but i hate the fact that the the part of me being a real asshole is after being followed you know mm-hmm. like it's not it's edit is basically editing it's no part of like if you saw like there's the real if the, if there was a full tape it would show mm-hmm. my back walking away from the cop and him following, and you know what I mean? And so yeah. without that, whatever, 30 seconds, one minute of tape, it just looks like I'm just hella aggressive. Like, fuck you. And it's like, well, that was after being followed, but nobody sees that. So that's the that's the frustrating thing is that the moment that that it, I'm, I'm captured in, it doesn't have uh public context mm-hmm. outside of me being able to to talk about it in stand up um but even even that is still it's still like not enough for me cuz i i like this even while i was faded i could sense the bullshit on this guy yeah that's why i was going off like that i was like and sure enough, when you, you know, check his files, is is dirt on him. Because mm-hmm. he, he's the type of motherfucker to follow me into a box. And then look at, you know, it's footage of him 
messing with civilians, beating up motherfuckers off duty, other and who knows about the stuff that they didn't even make reports. So I really I knew it was a BS arrest, even though, but then I'm also I can see that I somewhat brought it on myself, but because because I was talking, I was talking shit, but it it's still bad policing. Yeah. So it's that thing of if I wasn't drunk and kind of a shit starter, it never happens. But also, it was a bad it was a bad cop. Yeah. Um. The the is interesting how the the special works, which is sort of you you have the first half, which is sort of about all this growth, and then you sort of end with the sort of a reason why a lot of this growth happened, and it's darker than a lot of material is. There's a lot of talk about um like as you said the this joke about asthma starts with you talking about death, um and it reminded me that and I might be wrong, but I think the first time I saw you do some of this asthma material was um, in January 2019, um, the Lucas Brothers put on a memorial show for Kevin Barnett um, after he unexpectedly passed away. Um, yeah. for, for those who don't know, you know, before he went to have a successful writing career, I first saw Kevin when he was like really new to stand up at your knitting factory shows. Um, yeah. And when I talked to the Lucas Brothers, you know, they talked about how that, that changed a lot for everyone and uh, and how... Um, that night and also just sort of Kevin's passing changed how they thought about their life, but also, you know, their comedy as this was really a special comedy show. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever saw this show. Can, can you talk about Kevin, uh, that show and just sort of how it impacted how you approached your career and your comedy and, and what you were thinking about? Um, yeah, man, that Kevin, yeah, Kevin's death hit hard because it was, you know, I I had uh, I known him for a while yeah. when he went to the and he we we hung out a good amount and um, Dunkey he 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 went on the road with me sometimes for shows uh, and. Uh, so it was kind of there's a little I you know over time it was certain comics that were kind of almost little brothers to mm-hmm. me in the in the game and 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 so Kevin was was one of those and so that was uh yeah that was that was heavy man it was really heavy I actually wish that I pushed the um I taped my Miami Nights not long after that mm-hmm. in January 2019. And I don't think I was in the right space for it. And actually I had a piece talking about um Kevin uh when when I found I found out at the airport, which is the worst. Yeah. Like, what? And I'm finding out on a at the Atlanta airport on a delay. Yeah, it just was, you know, super, super unexpected. And that show was, uh, that was a, 
it was it was wild seeing everybody tell their stories. Um, it was very raunchy. I kind of, I don't. Everybody's in an emo- emotional spot, so and I gotta have some grace with myself on the set that I did. I would if I <laughs> the things we talked about. I, I kind of, you know, probably should have held back a little bit especially with his, his folks in there but it yeah. was just i think everybody was in a certain spot i, I also i asked them to because we were raising money for the fam i'm like oh let's add a show since that sold so fast i wish i didn't do that yeah i wish we didn't do two that was weird to do two <laughs> yeah and that was all i had to take responsibility it was like as soon as the second one started, i was like i was there like oh this was Oh, you can't do two of a ah. Oh. Um, but yeah, every time when, especially when it, you know, that young, it just puts your own. Uh, it puts your own mortality in perspective, and you just you know, you just think through situations, and and then then it passes after a couple months and you get back on your regular bullshit, <laughs> Jesse. <laughs> you get back, you miss it. Like, I'm going to change and then you like, you change a little bit, then it's back to the regular scheduled business with me and my demons. Let's go. But I, I, it's interesting because I do feel like that's fair. And I think that's it's, it's, un, it's unreasonable to be like, and then you change for good. But I do feel like this period, or at least after the arrest, was like the idea of growing and changing became much more into focus. Even like, um, I think different people are taking COVID differently. And I think there are some comedians who are like, this is, there's some comedians who are like, oh no, what am I doing? And then there's other comedians who are like, oh, this is an opportunity to sort of really take stake of the things that I actually get joy out of and the things that I um, am doing for bullshit reasons, because that's just what I've been doing. Um I feel like you since tag you haven't done as you call them the special white comedies in a while. Uh, I know I've done I any talk- movies. Yeah, and you, I think you've talked about you've turned down roles. Ha- have you th- ha- have you thought about your career differently or fame differently? Um, you moved to Chicago, which is another step of a certain sim- uh, sign to the entertainment industry. Um. And I'm about to move elsewhere, but I I can't say it in media now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it'll it'll find its own way. But uh, or maybe not. Hopefully not. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe it'll do it. We'll we'll find. But I'm I'm moving yeah. to it. And it's not the one I mentioned in the other interview. Yeah, I know uh, which one. I yeah. It's Ghana. not that. I'm going to visit Ghana for a little bit, but I have a new spot. Uh, for as far as career, I kind of now I just I have to look at what what I really enjoy doing, mm-hmm. and and it's not really acting on that that level. I think a lot of acting stuff was available to me, and it and look good on paper so i did it because it was but now 
the it's just the, the fact is I since I stopped drinking, I haven't taken a move. I just took uh I'm working on Spider-Man one day on Spider-Man uh in January. But that'll be my first one in uh, four years. Yeah. Uh I think it's just wanting to make my own ideas. Yeah. And and do that. Uh and just kind of seeing what really is fun for me because i found a lot of times on sets i would clock watching immediately like step on set like when's lunch yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it was a you know just now just seeing how what i want to do and how to i'm trying to really think how to build other folks and Mm. and and build the infrastructure to to help other people's careers beyond just the opening gig or being on the pocket like seeing that you know to put somebody in a good spot or to help them get true success is a lot of effort and energy and 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 strategy and so Mm. i think um it's more it's more interesting to just kind of not more, but it's a different feel just to help out. Yesterday was a rare day for me because I kind of helped. There was one comedian, um, Robert Hines, mm. who I've been working with a bit, Chicago comedian. He was a part of the viral video to uh, Jones Barbecue Foot Massage. I mm-hmm. this viral video that went crazy. I've been helping him with stuff a little bit. He has his pilot he's working on, and we ran through it and kind of just talk through parts of the the script and enhancing and, you know, talking performance a little bit, just doing ideas. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, value in that, that way, just with helping folks kind of um, develop ideas and see other perspectives on, on yeah. roles they're trying or moves they want to make. Um, so, I'll be going into that that route more over the next couple of years. Um, the special starts with a shot of you doing stand up in college as as a I think as a teenager, and um, I was just wondering, sort of, in in what ways is your relationship to stand up the same as that person, and in what ways is it different? Oh, it's super different. That's why I put it in there uh, is to because. Uh, the kid then and I was 19 then and so you know like that kid then had zero idea mm-hmm. of what he was getting into and just that um that moment of the you know that was my guy cheaty behind the camera but just walking into the camera like hype like yeah <laughs> um yeah, it was to just show that that old old moment and just that the youthful optimism. But it are anyways the same? Do you feel like there's parts of what motivated him is the same thing that motivates you whenever you can do whenever whether it's an outdoor show or whenever you can get to the part where you're doing enough shows in a row that you can get some rhythm to it? No, because then that might have been 
I probably was at less than 10 times on stage when I did that. Mm-hmm. So the high was still fresh. Like to get that pop from the crowd was, it was really exciting. That was maybe, maybe 30 people there. It's, and so it's not the same. I can still have the fun on stage and I enjoy coming up with bits. I think now it's just because of the lack of live performance, I, I it's more exciting to now conceptually coming up mm-hmm. with stuff. Um, that like that's really I, I get excited about that and getting other people in on it. So like conceptually, the, like different ways of doing performing. Different ways of oh, different ideas, different things to develop, different folks to connect, different ways of working. And I'm always trying to figure out how to, um, you know, best work with my team of editors. It's just different. Hmm. It's like now it's just it's a the business level is is really exciting to me. Just trying to figure out, okay, what is the oh this partnership and how can I um, navigate certain situations and and be really productive or you know if 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 just thinking longer term, okay, if somebody comes in for this commercial offer or some streaming thing and it's and the money's low, but you, you know, just thinking, okay, all right, what y'all got for your 2022 budget, that type of thing. Or, yeah. or maybe we could bring in this person for it instead. I don't want to do that. Maybe this person wants to do that. And, and or, you know, I get excited about that. Cause I feel like, um, I creatively, um, I'm always, kind of firing off like i'm not i don't really feel stuck ever it's just about doing it yeah but i've never been in a i got nothing type of there's always (laughs) something yeah yeah you talk about it and i I do think of you as an unusually business savvy and interested comedian and who and who's taken over a lot of ownership over their own career i think you you no longer work with a, a manager i what I guess my bigger question is sort of what does what doesn't doesn't money mean to you? Like just because somebody coming me with a, a half a million or a million dollars is not that's not gonna lock it up. I have to think mm-hmm. like I have to really look through the thing and think about it, and then then I think about okay, if I'm not gonna get it here, do I think? I can still figure out how to get it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's taken, you know, doing some other like doing TV shows and and tour and touring heavily and a bunch of other stuff over time to get to a a spot where it's not the only thing. I, I think through yeah. I think through experience. Experience is important. So now after doing enough stuff, I can kind of, I do like a simulation in my head. So when I, 
when I get a movie offer, I don't just think about the movie. I think, oh, do I want to sit in a hotel suite and answer questions hmm. about voicing a tarantula or something, you know? Yeah. That's not, I don't just see the movie and the da 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 and the box art and this. I, I see the press junket and then I see myself there hmm. and I see the journalist and I see the backdrop and, and I see, like, do I want to answer tarantula voice and questions about like, what does it mean? And like, and like, do I want to answer like about the, the cast and like all of that. <laughs> answer the same question over and over again for two days. Hey, like, do I want to do that for this? Yeah. And then it ends up being a pass because I don't yeah. think that I would, I, because I, I, I imagine myself like not feeling great in two years. Yeah. With that obligation, with that other part of the obligation. I I think your your West Chicago Community Center Melvina Masterminds was supposed to open this year, but I imagine maybe it didn't because of COVID. Or even I was thinking about how um, on your merch you sell T-shirts designed by a, like a local teenager. Um, in general, as, as we talk about money or just sort of how you spend your time, what what drives those those moves? The teenager, I think that's my nephew. Oh really? David. Uh. Yeah, that makes sense. The moves, that makes sense. It's just, it's just trying to, trying to create good situations for for others, and that's why, you know, it's a constant battle of how I'm spending my time because it's, yeah. it's not just about me. It's it's there's payroll, there's family, there's you know, just ideas for the future and just being is so it's a lot of other moving parts um and so that's why you know i try i I, i'm constantly kind of thinking about investments and and things that are you know i i think when it's i think 10 years from now most of my money won't be from entertainment mm-hmm. i'll like i i'll have it'll be it'll be from entertainment because it'll be from something i invested from entertainment money but the main thing won't be that so it's just you know trying to stay sharp and just trying to oh man it's, it's so much out here and it's that's yeah. the, and so i i get i get interested in a lot of things and just just trying to to make make shit happen i started yeah I found this app endless on um, on iPad. I started making messing around on iPad and just making music and beats. And this app endless, I started using a little bit and been partnering with them. And and so ideas like that. So then with endless, that has its own like where I'm like, okay, I need to show this. Which friends to show this to? And and now it's a whole. Mm-hmm. separate project it's not my main project I, endless has a founder tim but it's the thing i'm excited about so it's always and i'm, I'm it's too much going on jesse it's like, I know. It's, like <laughs> I know. It's, it's just constant 
do you think of stand up as your your main project, and then these are the things that surround the rest of your time? Uh, no, not any, not anymore. Interesting. Like stand up, as even how we were going into this year, stand up was kind of the way I was scheduling was just to cover the costs. Yeah. Like I wasn't really about to be hitting it that hard. I was uh I was just okay, I need these couple gigs and that's going to and then you know that'll cover everybody's salaries. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm plan I plan on putting out my first full music project next year. It seems like you still do stand up and you still like it. it it's sort of sort interesting because I think of you as sort of a tremendously influential stand up comedian. Um, so it's interesting that sort of like it you've do you, I guess do you feel like you've not said what you wanted to say, but you've fa- you figured out the things you've wanted to figure out when you started doing it. You're like, oh, I want to kill in this way, or oh, I want to be able to do this stuff. And you fig and do you feel like you figured it out a little bit, and it's not as exciting as all the other things that you can sort of do that's built out of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's exciting, but it's, it's limited, you know? Yeah. Um, so right. Rogan getting his money from the podcast, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't have the limits of the form. Mm. Because he's able to have these, different convo and so yeah and then people come to the show because of the, that so it's just the same you know film yeah. is more so that's the other thing too i need to i gotta i wanna either next year or 2022 i i wanna i have to direct my first feature that's the one that's the other part too. Yeah. As a, I feel like I have that ability, and I gotta knock that out to really kind of okay. I gotta. I've been in movies, and now it's, here's mine. Here's what I think a movie is. Uh, and then, and that'll that'll give me peace for about forty five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> So that sound means it's time for our final segment. It's the laughing round. It's it's like a lightning round, but because this is a, a comedy show, it's a, the laughing round. Um, mm. Is there? Do you have a favorite joke? Joke like a street joke? Street joke. Uh, damn. There's one is uh I heard is uh what did the what did the Jewish pedophile say? What? Hey, kids, take it easy on the candy. <laughs> that's um, that's very funny. Um, uh, then there's the you know what do you say a woman with black eyes? Yes. You already told her twice. Boom. You know what's fun? I told that what I thought in jest in my in uh. Live at Chicago? Live from Chicago. Yeah. I told it in jest about the girl that asked me to tell a joke. 
And uh, um, some folks thought I wrote that. It's weird when, like, because that's the thing you can't make assumptions. Hmm. Even one time on Eric Andre's show, I jokingly said, like, uh, women be shopping. And for me, that's obviously a, a Chris Rock reference. Yeah. But people are like, oh, yeah, you said that. And like, oh, no, I was referencing. Yeah. But you, it's not, at the ref, some, one person's reference is another person's new shit. Yeah. Um, is there a joke you wish you could steal or, you know, not steal or you get caught, but it's a, you know, it's a different universe where you're allowed to have this person's joke and it's your joke. Everything else is the same. Um, a joke you heard and you go, I wish I wrote that joke. Uh, you know what? You know who caught me off guard with their special? I threw it on. Um... Eddie Pepitone's special. Mm. You see his latest special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he starts off, he gets on stage, crowd's clapping, and he just says, I'm on Molly. <laughs> <laughs> and that caught me. I like, that's one of the best openers ever. I'm on Molly. He, like, he set the tone right away. Um, is there a joke you remember getting on 30 Rock or in SNL? Just like one joke you're like, oh, I wrote that and that actually made it in. For uh oh yes. For uh SNL the Rihanna episode with a first Shirani mm. Lonely Lonely Island sketch. I remember kind of going around because I wasn't getting stuff on. So you, I, you just pop by people's offices and try to just punch up their stuff. And Lonely Island was working on a song with Shy Ronnie. And they were writing the lyrics with Rihanna in it. And there was like, you know, Rihanna, the, the concept is that Shy Ronnie is doing his song, <laughs> but he's super quiet. Yeah. And then he he, you know, turns up at the end. And so we were writing lyrics for Rihanna, and I'm like, what, what if she says, like, this beat cost a lot of money? Because she's trying to coach him. And, yeah. so that was, and so that was really, at that time, too, because I wasn't getting a lot on. So to have Rihanna say one of my lines was really, that, that was nice. That yeah, okay, Rihanna said some words <laughs> I said. Uh, and then 30 Rock. Uh, I I think Queen Latifah's character said uh, something is like is whiter than a Wilco concert, <laughs> and I just did a festival with Wilco, and then yeah. that one, uh, and then Alec Baldwin, uh, Jack was talking to a teacher, and he was trying to, you know condescend to the teacher and uh, what if he called the teacher chalk hands is it quiet chalk hands <laughs> a real man is talking so that was a two i remember from uh 30 Rock. Might have been. um <laughs> i want to ask you about a joke 
I, I don't know if you remember, but it's a joke that I, I think of as it, it changed my life in so much as I had not wasn't seeing comedy that much. And then I saw you do is that comedy death ray is a Halloween show. Well, you did some Halloween stuff and then you said, OK, I'm done with Halloween material. And then you did a joke about I think it was the whole tilapia joke um, where you went to a Thai restaurant and they gave you a whole tilapia. Do you remember that? joke? Oh, yeah. And the fish head is on there. Yeah. And then there's the whole skeleton. Um, and then you say, I believe the line is, there's a whole skeleton. It's like, this is this is not a trash can. I am not Heathcliff. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. It was the funniest thing I had heard for like the last five years. I didn't, like, do you remember that joke? I usually don't do this. I'm I like, do remember. <laughs> I forgot about it, but I remember, yeah. I remember, uh, yeah, because that was my only point of reference for full fish was like, yeah. like cartoons. Like that's who the fuck eats fish like this? Not me. Um. So, last one. Do you have a a joke that, um, you've tried a bunch of times? It it doesn't work, or it doesn't work how you think it should. You keep on trying it. Or, or maybe you gave up on it, but you'll go to your grave being like, that joke was funny. All the audiences were wrong. Uh, it's not one that I tried over and over, but I haven't I haven't talked with mm-hmm. anybody at length since this show. So I did the Rose Bowl with Thundercat, the drive-in show. And so I... Uh, was just thinking of ways to try to make the driving experience exciting. Mm-hmm. And I got a, I got a, uh, I got a spaceship. And so the first show was during the day and I was first. And so it was daylight. So the spaceship kind of did well. I was moving through the crowd of spaceship doing crowd work. Second show I went on late. It was dark. So I think the spaceship wasn't, really showing up well on Mm. the big screen so besides the people right around the spaceship they the rest of the folks weren't really getting the spaceship energy and so i was out there in a spaceship and wait what what do you mean by a spaceship i think burning man but like a a spaceship car yeah got it uh and so one of those kind of vehicles i'm moving through and I'm in the spaceship, and I don't know if it was just I was off rhythm or because it's drive-ins, the vibe wasn't there. But I was by, I was like in the spaceship, and it was just this quiet moment. And I just had this existential, like, am I just out here in the field in a spaceship right now? And it was like this other pineapple vehicle behind me. And I was going to do some spaceship stuff and then I was going to be in a pineapple vehicle. But that moment of panic, I bail on the spaceship bit and go back on stage just because mm-hmm. it was just too, it was just in that moment, it was just really quiet. And I was just out and about in the spaceship and I, I didn't, I didn't commit to the bit enough. <laughs> so to all the kids listening, if you rent your spaceship for your show or any other type of novelty vehicles, make sure that you commit to a spaceship because 
you're still gonna have to pay the full spaceship <laughs> rental fee no matter if you bail on a bid or not so <laughs> if you feel a moment of panic while you're in whatever weird vehicle you're in during your show just stay there and fight through it because you've already paid your deposit so there's no turning back that's my lesson to the kids perfect a perfect way to end uh thank you for joining me that was that was so good uh thank you for doing it thank you no that's it for another episode of good one you can watch Miami Nights on YouTube. Follow Hannibal on social media at Hannibal Burris. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Godwin Shrigashen did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Have a good one. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.